This is Everything with Allie Levine, hosted by Hollywood mom, celebrity stylist, influencer, and Bravo reality star, Allie Levine. On this podcast, you'll get a mix of, well, literally everything, from motherhood to fashion, lifestyle to spiritual well-being, all real and raw. Allie interviews celebrities, experts, influencers, entrepreneurs, and so much more. Tune in weekly to be inspired, empowered, and entertained. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Everything with Allie Levine. I'm your host, Allie, and I have an incredible guest on with me today. I have Dr. Brad Campbell, and I want to tell you guys a little bit about him before I bring him on. So Dr. Brad Campbell is a holistic physician and runs an integrated holistic clinic just north of Chicago, Illinois. He founded a nonprofit, a health assurance movement whose goal is to Robin Hooding healthcare back to the masses. He is a chiropractic internist and an acupuncturist and is finishing 10 degrees in natural healthcare. Dr. Brad Campbell, welcome to my show. Hey, Allie. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so to talk so to excited to have you. We've been chatting on social media. I started following all your incredible content and I was like, wow, I just have to have you on my show and have you share like everything, you know, that you've been doing, how you kind of got to this space. So before we kind of get into all that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, your journey, how you got here, why you're so passionate about holistic and, you know, like you said, bringing, you know, healthcare back to the masses. Like let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um... I'll give you the quick version of my personal story. I had a um, horrible concussion when I was nine years old. And for nine months, I lost half of my IQ, most of my short-term memory. And I went from like grade ahead in school to grade behind. My personality was flat. I got bullied for being the stupid kid. Wow. Um, it was a rough time. And I went to about 50 doctors. No one could figure it out. I had all the best docs in Chicago, all the tests, all the CAT scans, EEGs, MRIs, sleep studies, psych tests, all the stuff. And they're like, we don't know what's wrong. It's just maybe it'll get better. Maybe it won't. And happened to go to a chiropractor by chance one day with my mom who had the appointment. And she asked the doctor if he could actually look at me instead, because I probably needed it more than she did at the time. And he was the first person in nine months who just felt my head. And I had a dent in my head from the concussion, the size of a golf ball. Yeah. And he did, he did cranial manipulation, which some chiropractors do and a lot of DO osteopaths do. And um, he basically manipulated my head for about an hour, moved the cranial bones so they were moving the right way, took the dent out of my head, which you can actually see on the old CT scans I still have. And um, I left an hour later, completely normal again, laughed and smiled for the first time in nine months. Wow. So after that, I you know, it changed your life. And it was always, I loved music. That was kind of my passion, but I wanted to help more people. And after having that experience as a child, it was always in the back burner of like a way I could help injured musicians or help more people. And so my chiropractor fixed a couple of injuries I had when I was performing as a saxophonist in college and um, inspired me to go to chiropractic school to help injured musicians. And then once I got there, I kind of went down the rabbit hole into like, what's placebo, what's real, what's natural, like alternative that's like you know just placebo or voodoo or weird stuff and what's more like energy medicine what is energy medicine what's acupuncture what is herbs what herbs are actual like real and work and what herbs are not real and kind of went down that whole rabbit hole and just went into studying everything I possibly could in terms of functional medicine which is more like the science-based lab work blood work 
um, stool testing, urine testing, hair testing, um, functional labs that are more advanced that a lot of doctors don't run. And then also getting into more of the muscle testing and the energetic side and went, ended up going to acupuncture school and learning about the meridians and the, how the meridians are what people think is energy, but really it's just like blood flow and nerve plexuses. And um, so I'm very much like grounded in both like Eastern and Western, very science-based and evidence-based and like Western diagnostics and have a degree in um, as a diplomate in diagnostics. And then also more onto the emotional mind-body spectrum. I do a lot of emotional and stress work with patients. Also do a lot of acupuncture and acupuncture is great for balancing neurotransmitters and emotional health. So I just really went down the rabbit hole once I got into school and um, have loved it. Bought a practice from a doctor who was um, running this clinic for 30 years. He um, was Belgian, moved back to Belgium. So I've been running that and um, kind of like living the dream. And I just wanted to, I help a ton of patients all the time. We get miracles every day. And um, I knew when other elder doctors started telling me that the results I was getting was sort of abnormal or like I was helping people get better from conditions that normally don't get better that I, by, because I was combining all these different modalities that I should start sharing and teaching. So I started a nonprofit, which is going to be more like local teaching, helping homeless and lower income patients. But um, because of the pandemic, I wasn't really able to do that. So I started doing more free online health education. And then that's really kind of what took off the last six months or so. Um, I started doing little daily videos, just trying to teach people whatever questions people had. I would just make a little driving to work video and post it. And that started really taking off. And I think a lot of what people were asking about was... Um, the C illness, right? Because of the pandemic, they're asking about the current infection going around. They're asking about the different injections and whether what the pros and cons were, because a lot of people were either hearing, you know, the anti jabbers who were like, it's all bad. It's going to be in your system forever. It's going to affect you forever. And all these like really horrible things, or they were hearing other people who are saying it's the best thing. It's going to save everybody. It's going to end the pandemic, even though like the world health organization has now said, it's not the end of the pandemic. It's just like another tool in our tool belt that will help. Um, it's so I've been kind of teaching in more of a moderate space. And the reason why I even started speaking up in the first place was because I was so bothered by how there was no one who was giving true informed consent on the pros and cons of all these things. So that kind of took off. I, my account got deleted twice, but <laughs> each, each, each time it got deleted, I had 20, 30,000 followers within a few days of getting deleted. So I think people appreciated that I was just trying to be as truthful and honest and unbiased as I possibly could be. And so I think that's why um, people appreciate it. Isn't it interesting that we're living in a time where anyone who speaks out against any narrative is being censored, deleted, blocked? It, it's so wild to me. It is super wild. Um, I think we need to give each other a little more grace to allow that we can make mistakes or that we can talk back and forth and figure things out without feeling like we need to fear being canceled or fear anything. You know, we all make tons of mistakes all the time. Like there's no way I could post a daily video and not be wrong all the time. So I think getting over that fear of, you know, people not liking you has been really helpful for me, but also our culture right now, I think we could all use a little bit more like love acceptance and um, forgiveness of each other. Oh, absolutely. And thank you for sharing, you know, that story of yourself, because I did not know that about you and, and everything that I had done with research on you and following you on social media. Like, 
I just knew like what you said of what you've been speaking out about and how you've been trying to educate others and share just kind of a real true space of what's going on and you know where the medical system's been and how things have been going and instead of just saying hey do this or don't do that and just really bringing you know truth uh to the space where i think that a lot of people are just honestly so fear-based they just don't even necessarily want to know any part of truth they'd really just rather listen to mainstream tell them what to think and what to do totally agree and i think so much of what people are doing and the decisions they're making is based in fear, especially with the injection they're either scared of the germ or they're scared of the injection. And they kind of, whichever one they're more scared of is what they end up logically justifying their emotional decision with later, which is what most therapists know. Um, and I have some best friends that are therapists and um, they always will say, you know, people make emotional decisions and then justify them with logic later. And I feel like until we learn how to get out of our stress, brain and our emotional brain and really relax, calm down, center ourselves. It's hard to make a, you know, educated decision from logic, um, especially when we're surrounded with so much fear, which it's kind of like if there is a pandemic and people are more at risk, it would make sense that people would be somewhat scared. But I think, you know, initially we thought this was going to kill 10 to 15% of people. And then we learned it's actually more like 0.1.2. So it's kind of like the modeling got it a hundred times wrong, not even like 10% or 200%. It was a hundred times wrong from the beginning. And there's been a lot of data that was wrong. Some that was correct, but most of it has sort of not been great. So people are sort of seeing the pros and the cons of how science works and how we, as scientists and evidence-based medicine practitioners, we sort of like do the best we can, but when a new thing comes along, they're realizing it takes years for things to come about and to get a general scientific consensus. And it takes years for even one study to become peer reviewed and um, accepted. And um, when there is a new germ that's traveling, it takes a long time to really learn what it's doing, how it's affecting people. And um, um, fortunately, because it's been so politicized this year, anyone who's sort of come out with a new idea or a new concept, like um, the fact that the germ was more of a vasculitis than a pneumonia or a lung upper respiratory type of condition, which now everyone agrees upon. Um, well, almost everybody agrees upon that. Um, the first person who came out with that, like lost his job. <laughs> so, you know, to really speak truth is somewhat dangerous for like personal um, career aspirations or public um, appeal or shame or what, there's a lot of consequences, I guess, to sort of like just providing any sort of information that might be contradictory to the public accepted dogma because people are so emotionally charged about the whole thing. If you kind of question their belief systems, they tend to get a little triggered or a little reactive. Well, yeah, because you're, you're questioning their belief system and you're questioning the narrative they've been fed. So they, they feel like you're essentially shaking everything that is their foundation. And I've, I've seen this too, you know, within even my own, you know, family and friend units and, it's just very interesting how those that choose to really um, make decisions, like you said, out of fear and choose to say, I'm going to listen to whoever's going to tell me this because they know better than me. I find it really interesting for those that actually tap back into themselves and say, okay, no, let me like really weigh this and look at, you know, what is really affecting me? What's maybe not, what is truth and what's maybe being spun 
And then they come from a different place. And it's just interesting when I've had conversations across the board with all different types of people that have gotten it, haven't gotten it. And the, I said, notice the majority that have gotten it have all been in a fear-based place. I would generally agree. Um, I think the first round was kind of the fear-based place. Now we're seeing a lot of people who are getting it out of a pressure-based place, like a peer pressure as well. Um, because everywhere they go, they're either asking for it or they're getting asked the question by everybody. Like, did you get it? Did you get it? Did you get it? It's like becoming a, an incessant thing that you almost can't escape at this point. Um, yeah, well, which is like, are you, are you vaccinated? Are you vaccinated? Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. When I was telling my husband, I said, it's so interesting to me that so, you know, at least for me growing up, like, I feel like so many of us, like we were taught, you know, not to give into peer pressure and not to be part of peer pressuring. And now we're in a society that is just doing, doing that over and over and over. I so agree. It's getting more and more intense. It's like, if you don't do this, you're a bad person. It's like, I think what people don't realize is that it's a very complex and nuanced decision or discussion that needs to be had. And we kind of like to label people as either left or right or pro this or anti this or um, all the anti-vaccine people or pro-vaccine people. It's like most anti-vaccine people were not born coming out of the womb being like, I hate vaccines, mommy. You know, like it's not, that's not usually what happens. It's usually people who had a negative reaction to a vaccine or a medication, or they had a family member that reacted. And then they say, Hey, maybe we want to slow down the schedule, or maybe we shouldn't give the kids with egg allergies vaccines that have eggs in them. And doctors know this, pediatricians know this, veterinarians know this. Um, a good example I use is that my dog, Albus Dumbledore, he uh, is six years old, but he almost died after his first round of injections as a puppy. And the vet's willing to say, you know, one in 500 dogs will develop this like extreme bone reaction that he had where his bones started self-destructing. Happens in really large dogs that are growing really fast. They get multiple vaccines on their first visit. And sometimes they'll have that reaction. Sometimes they'll put the dog down like they wanted to with my dog. Sometimes the dog will end up being okay. Um, luckily, we found a vet that kind of did a high dose steroid protocol that worked for my dog. But it's interesting that the vet's willing to say, you know, this is a reaction. It's one of the risks of the vaccines. But if you go to like a pediatrician, they're not always willing to tell you the risks and benefits of um, what that might be for like an autoimmune issue with a child or an allergic reaction with a child. Um, they don't always tell people the ingredients of what's actually in the vaccines. So um, I just find it interesting that, you know, I think because there's less cognitive distance, we're able to sort of admit that animals could be, you know, somewhat harmed um, on a rare occasion from these things, whereas um, kids or humans, it's a little bit harder to admit that we might be, you know, helping and harming at the same time um, to millions of kids. Yeah, you're so right. And I, you know, I appreciate that you said that about, you know, the, you know, quote unquote, as they love to call them anti-vax, you know, it's like, even myself, I've been called this several times and I'm like, well, first off, I thought we were in a society that wasn't trying to use labels and here we are calling people anti-vax. And second off, you know, I've said, you know, I've never said that I wouldn't get take vaccines for my children. I've said that I want to so far delay the schedule because I have done so much research around, you know, how much goes into their bodies at such a young age and what that can do. And you know, and everything. And I, you know, me being a, you know, breastfeeding mom and knowing that they're getting my antibodies and how strong they are and how healthy they are. Thank God. You know, I believe in all of that. And it's interesting when certain moms will come to me and say like, well, you know, aren't you totally afraid that, you know, this could happen. And I'm like, 
Well, and the other side of that is like, aren't you also afraid that you're choosing to give six vaccines and one, you know, one appointment and something could happen? Like, you know, and it's just interesting when you have those conversations and people who are so pro-vaccine can't see it at all. And they think you're, you know, you're crazy and you're doing horrible for your child and this and that. And then when I talk to so many moms, like when I became a mom, you know, even when I was pregnant with my first daughter, you know, I had so many people DM me and share their stories of losing their children and having their children, you know, compromised and autoimmune and, you know, autistic and all these different things. And it was just like heartbreaking for me to hear, you know, these thousands of stories from moms when I was first, you know, newly pregnant and having my first daughter, but it really made me start to do the research because to be honest, I really had no idea like what, you know, first off how much this schedule had changed. Cause I had like all of 15 in my entire life. And, you know, then it's like, oh, it's 72 now, you know, for, you know, um, from when they're a baby to they're an adult is what they expect you as far as the, you know, um, schedule, according to CDC and everything. And, you know, you can look that up, but I mean, I was blown away. And I said to my husband, I said, you know what, I, I'm going to do some research and I want to, you know, watch some documentaries and I want to read some things before I kind of just follow along with like the narrative of what you're supposed to do. And that's where I really started seeing, even for myself, people started questioning me. And it's like, because I'm questioning what's being told versus like choosing to do 200 hours of research on my own to discover that some things maybe just aren't as true as you think they may be. I totally agree. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the labeling is really a tricky situation. And I know, like, obviously, some of the media does listen and care because they're saying, you know, vaccine literate, or um, they're talking about vaccine hesitant rather than like anti-vaxxers, because they know that not everyone, you know, when they 40, 50, 60% of certain hospital systems, the healthcare workers did not want to get the injection when it first came <laughs> out. You know, they're like, well, they're not, we can't say that the majority of the country is anti-vaccine because um, that can't be true. So like they're trying to give a little bit of a leeway, which is nice, a um, little bit of a different label. However, um, yeah, it's still people often do get labeled and is turning uh, occasionally very divisive. But I think one of the biggest philosophy points that's important to kind of like talk about in for kids with the vaccines, with immune system health, with overall Americans having tons of comorbidities and, you know, 70% of America being overweight or 90% being overweight or having cardiovascular disease, which is why I think so many people were concerned about the pandemic because like everyone, pretty much everyone in America has a comorbidity when we really look at the stats. Um, and that's what they were talking about. So even though age and um, your ability to be less frail, like be able to move and lift things and be active, are probably the most important factors in um, how this pandemic would affect you and your risk factor. I think people were, most people have a comorbidity and so they were more scared because they're in like a higher risk, even if it's only like a 5% higher or a 1% or a 10% and that's still minimal. Um, when, you, when you hear I'm high risk, that really like concerns people. Um, but I think one of the biggest philosophies is that because we're generally not a super healthy country, I think one of the biggest philosophies, if you do what other people do, you're going to get the same results. If you want different results, you have to do different things. And if you want to have your kids or your family be as healthy as the country is, you do what everybody else does, which is like eat out, eat fast food, eat more inflammatory food, the standard American diet, don't work out very much, um, don't know how to deal with your stress or don't see people who help you get healthier, just do the standard, you know, health insurance, which is more like a 
disaster insurance most of the time <laughs> that does some prevention, but a lot of disaster care, um, which is kind of coming in to save the day when you're about to die or after you get a major problem. But I feel like if you start to do more preventive work or you know, cook more meals for your kids, do more natural cooking, learn how to be healthy, learn how to meditate or work out or whatever you're willing to do, it's like if you do different things, you'll get different results. So if you want to be have a healthier family, healthier in mind, body, and spirit, then if you do different things than what the average person is doing, you'll get different results. And I think it's normal to sort of start to question, like, why are we this way? Maybe we could start to do things a little bit different, like people used to do hundreds of years ago. And the vaccine schedule is a big, big one to question. When you do go from, you know, five or six vaccines in our grandparents to 60, 70, and I think they're going to get up to like over 100 in the next couple of years too. Um, that's a lot of, a lot of different, uh, you know, pharmaceutical materials going into kids even less than one or two years old. Yeah. I, I mean, it's so true. And I love that you said that about, you know, the, you know, mind, body, spirit, you know, all of that, because you're right. It's like, you know, it's so easy to just follow along and just say, okay, we'll just go out to eat and okay, I'll just do this. I'll just do that. And just kind of follow along what everybody else is doing. But you're right. When you change your own circumstances, when you do something differently and you choose to say, I'm going to stand outside and say, okay, I'm going to take this amount of time to work out. I am going to meditate. I am going to do this. And you change, you know, the way your body is, you change the way your mind is and, you know, really get connected with your spirit. Like there are massive changes that come um, if you allow them to, instead of just kind of following along. And, you know, I think it was interesting with, you know, especially the lockdown times when kind of nobody really knew what was going on, at least in the beginning, beginning, you know, I, I said to so many friends, I was like, it's so interesting to me that like, you know, they you locked you inside, you know, you're glued to a TV, most people watching the news, seeing, you know, the horrible things going on. And then on top of that, you're not in the sunshine, you're not moving your body, you're not doing all the things that you, you just said that like you were supposed to be doing really with COVID, like you should have been moving your body, you should have been the sunlight, you should have been, you know, zinc and, you know, all these, you know, vitamin D and all the things that like can help your body instead, you were just kind of locked up watching TV and doing God knows what. Yeah, exactly. I think um, fully distancing is a good way to kind of avoid catching a contagious germ. Um, we've seen that in like Australia, somewhat in Canada, like the China, the places that had more of this like communistic style lockdown that did seem to work quite well, actually, even though it like may have wrecked their economy. And I think first world's locking down ends up hurting third world countries more than it does first world countries. So there's a lot of like global consequences where in every pandemic, the wealthy in the first world countries do a lot better and the third world countries really struggle and take the brunt of the pandemic, which is sad. However, um, we could have done a much better job of sort of like blending that with getting outside, getting sunlight, getting movement because sunlight and 20 minutes of even just like walking a day are the best, fastest ways besides actual physical human touch to build your natural killer cells, which is the thing that actually prevents you from getting an infection in the first place from anything. So if you're moving, if you're outdoors, um, that's why so many people don't get the cold and the flu and the germs in the summertime is because they're outdoors and they're moving and they're getting vitamin, natural vitamin D. Because even if you take synthetic vitamin D, it's still not quite the same as getting actual sunlight on your skin. Um, and it's not like the cold and the flu virus just like 
hide in the closet all summer and then they pop out in the <laughs> October and go, oh, surprise, we're here now. Like we've been hiding out all year. It's like, no, it's just people start eating Halloween candy and then they have Thanksgiving food and then they have a bunch of Christmas cookies and they're not getting sunshine. They're not usually working out as hard. And then maybe they'll start picking up with like their New Year's resolutions and start going to the gym again. But it's, um, it's really not like that these germs are seasonal in terms of like they have a time clock and all of a sudden when certain moments come around they're like they pop out and attack you it's like they're in our system all the time we're constantly surrounded by trillions of germs on a daily basis even if you're staying indoors um, and it's more about our terrain that allows the germ to um, affect us more than it is about the germ kind of taking advantage of a, a weak host no matter what the what the person does. So I think when you start to go more from the germ theory, which is that no matter what I do, the germ's going to attack me and destroy me, to the terrain theory, which is more about empowering yourself to be healthier and actually get strong enough so that the germ or almost any germ won't impact you, then you start to gain a little more confidence, a little more power in yourself, a little more trust in your body. It's a much more really like positive, optimistic way to live your life. Yeah, so true. And I love that you said that about empowerment because it's true. It's like when you empower yourself and give yourself that knowledge and realize like, okay, I can take control to a point and do these things. Hopefully then, you know, I'm going to fare better than maybe a different person that's not doing these things and just kind of lives in fear, which we also know that like fear in general just creates, you know, horrible situations in our body and with our immune systems. 100%. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, you're in the holistic space, you know, but you are very moderate, you know, like you said, you know, you do believe, you know, in medicine, but you also come from a very holistic background, obviously what you study and speak on, like for you, when the pandemic hit and when everything, you know, kind of started playing out, like, what did you do personally? How did you personally choose to, you know, handle things? And even now, like that we're, you know, I don't even want to say post pandemic, I feel like we're still kind of in it, not in it, whatever this is. Um, you know, how have you chosen to kind of be in this and go forward, um, with your own self and even like, you know, with patients, I guess, of, you know, whether it be virtual or in person of like how you're managing things. Yeah. Well, um, I've had an in-person clinic all year. We've had very few virtual people coming in and, um, for me, it was definitely different than most people. Um, the background was I was treating COVID patients for two months with no PPE, before we even knew what was going on. So like January, February, there were people coming in with this really bad, like flu-like pneumonia type illness. And we would treat them with all of our typical antivirals, but it was like, they were doing worse. We gave them more stuff and they got better, um, which is what happens with 99.8% of all um, COVID patients. But we didn't know that's what it was until, you know, we started like realizing that, oh, this was in the US and it was spreading. And then we did antibody testing. We were one of the first people to really start doing a really thorough 12 marker antibody test in the US. And um, so we did antibody testing. We're like, holy shoot, those were all COVID patients. <laughs> and I had no mask on. I wasn't even like washing my hands between patients very often. Sometimes I'd hand sanitize them, but like generally I want to get the cold and the flu germs every year because I believe like old school doctors and nurses and teachers do is that like, if you expose yourself to the germs, you build your immune system up. It's kind of like the grandparents who would swim in the sewers and get really sick as kids, but then they <laughs> would never get sick the rest of their lives. That's kind of like, I never really get sick anymore. Um, maybe if I'm like pushing myself really hard, not sleeping, not eating well, then I might come down with something for a day or two and then I get better. 
but I had that experience. So at the start of the pandemic, I was like, wow, I can't seem to catch it. So I was sort of like living as if I was invincible, which really I knew I wasn't, but I was not as concerned about, you know, the possibility of catching it. So I was traveling, driving, motorcycling across the country, um, flying a couple places, doing what was like, you know, irresponsible to some, but um, really like I just still haven't had any antibody response, no T cell response. Um, we treated over a thousand COVID patients this year, um, all did great. And um, so for me, it was very different than for most people because before I was even able to be in fear, I already had kind of like won the battle more or less. Um, so that was my personal experience with it. So I think that's also been nice to hear for patients because there is a big aspect of this that is fear-related, that is stress-related. I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of patients where when they get a positive test, their symptoms instantly worsen, right? Because they become afraid. They get like, they have an anxiety about what it means to have COVID because of everything they've seen in the media and the news, um, stories they've heard. Kind of like when people get a cancer diagnosis, they get extremely, a lot of times if the doctor tells them they only have so much time to live, they'll manifest that out. So we would do stress reduction techniques on people that their symptoms would often go away instantaneously. Not for everybody, but for a large amount of people, there was definitely a stress-related aspect to just having the diagnosis of like a positive PCR or antibody test. Um, the doctor whose clinic I actually took over for, who's back in Belgium, his dad actually tested positive. And um, his dad had like, you know, a little minor cold, went to his doctor. He's like, maybe we should check and like test, test him. He tested positive and his dad, who was actually naturally minded chiropractor for decades, his dad like freaked out once he got the positive test, it's basically because it's legal there. He wanted the doctor to euthanize him. His symptoms got worse within oh like God. hours, maybe even minutes. And he was like freaking out. He's like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I'm just like, I have a massive headache. He's working himself up into like a panic attack almost. And, um, just kept like begging the doctor to basically put him down because he didn't want to, he was sitting at home the whole year, like watching people die on the news. And uh, he was afraid that was going to happen to him. And so the doctor was like, no, I think you're actually okay. Like, let's give you some medicine, see how you do. And luckily the doctors didn't euthanize him because there it's actually legal to do that. Wow. But then, so four or five days go by and, um, my friend, this doctor is talking to his dad and is trying to like calm down. He's a little bit more relaxed, but he's still kind of freaking out. And so he goes to get tested again to see if it's gone away. And his PCR test again is positive. <laughs> and <laughs> the doctor um, talks to his son, who's another doctor and talks to the son. And the son's like, you know, can we just like lie to him and tell him it's negative or tell him something else? And so they get, the doctor basically tells the patient, tells this, um, my friend's dad tells him that, you know, it was positive, but it was less than it was before. And, <laughs> and he goes, Oh, okay. As long as it was less then I feel better. And his symptoms were gone within like an hour. So wow. I think there is an aspect of this that is very much, you know, people manifesting themselves being sick. And I don't want anyone to hear that and go like, it's not all in my head. I'm like, no, it's definitely not. But the nocebo and the placebo effect are very real and you can definitely make your symptoms better or worse depending on how you view the actual process of being sick. So I've heard wow. so many stories like that that are so profound and I think it's important to, to acknowledge that our 
minds can control how we do when we get sick. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I mean, it's true though, right? Like we were talking about earlier, like when you sit and watch news and you stay in fear and you continue to surround yourself with fear and that's all you fill your mind with, like it's, it's true. It takes over. And, you know, with me, I was pregnant, you know, during the pandemic with my second daughter. And, you know, I realized really quick that I had to stop watching the news. I had to stop like watching certain things on social media. Like I had to really tune out because I was tripping myself out and I was like pregnant and I was nervous of what I was potentially, you know, doing my daughter, you know, growing life and everything. And I was just not in a good place. And I was like, I need to like get quiet. I need to meditate more. I need to journal more. And you're right. Like I, I was crazy because so many people were like, you know, checking on me, my family and all this. And I was like, I know I sound crazy, but I've never felt more at peace during such a crazy time than I do now. And so when you were just speaking about that, about the mind, it's like, it's so true. It's so powerful. Like I got myself in such a Zen place that so much so that when I was, you know, giving birth to my daughter during the pandemic, like, yes, of course I was aware of the pandemic, but I wasn't in this like place of like, oh my God, I'm giving birth during a pandemic. It was a still a very like beautiful and incredible empowering mm. birth for everything going on. I wish everyone could hear that and do the same for their own pregnancies. That's absolutely so empowering that you were able to make the most of the situation. Thank you. It was not easy. And it was, you know, I mean, it's funny. Like I think back to my first pregnancy with my first daughter and, you know, the world was open, obviously everything was, you know, it was all good. You know, it was 2018, you know, I was doing glamorous photo shoots every week. I mean, I was like, it was, everything was, you know, beautiful. And I had a pretty traumatic uh, C-section um, after trying to um, give birth in a, you know, in a tub and I had 42 hour labors and was, tra- you know, um, transferred to for a C-section and it was pretty traumatic. And I went through a lot of postpartum depression and all this that and so you know fast forward you know to a pandemic to being pregnant in this time and everything and then being able to like actually go inward and focus so much on myself and on my body and on my baby and do all these things like it was so empowering for me because not only like did I have an empowering birth and a beautiful birth but I also had a v-back which for those that don't know is a vaginal birth after c-section and I was like you know to me it was like oh my gosh I had got a v-back during a pandemic like during this crazy time and I stayed zen like to me that was the most empowering thing ever because I stepped away from that and was like oh shit well just shows you how powerful your mind is yeah I think and people have no idea how powerful it is but once they really start to wake up to the power of their own conscious and subconscious that's when you know people don't need to go to the doctor as often because stress is the cause of 90 percent of doctor visits and once you really start to own your stress and own your thoughts and own your your mental emotional state and the way you react to things and how you get out of your reactive state is when people stop needing to go to the doctor as much really and they start living so much happier lives yeah oh my gosh it's so true and like for you like you know you talk about you know that like unconscious to like actual like you know subconscious higher conscious like do you feel like for you that came at a pretty early age that you were able to kind of wake up to that and just kind of take your own power back? Or was that over time as you got into like your actual practice? Like, what did that look like for you? Because it's interesting when I talk to so many different people, you know, and those especially who, you know, are still not really conscious of it and very much just kind of in a very 
fear-based level and just listen to what's going on. And I try to like wake them up to this and I have these conversations and some of them, I do wake up and they listen and some don't. And some look at me like, I'm totally crazy. And I'm just curious for you, like what your personal experience was. And, and also like, you know, with your practice and everything that you've done, especially being that, you know, you were in person this whole year, like, was that something that you also worked on with your patients, especially so many of them being COVID patients? Yeah. Um, we definitely did work on it. Um, trying to think of the yeah, first question, which is basically like, how did I start to wake up to being aware of my conscious and subconscious? And that was, I, I think I have to credit that to really, really great teachers in high school um, and middle school, but who really start to help you figure out how to think, but not just how to think, but how to even think about your own thinking, like how to be mindful of your thoughts. And it was almost like they were teaching us stoicism and um, like Socratic method stuff like that in high school, which was great. But it was really a process of realizing that you could make yourself happy. You know, if you posture yourself a certain way, if you breathe a certain way, if you um, focus on certain things, that you could change your perception of reality. And I had a teacher who was pro probably super spiritual or you know, in a religion at the time who is talking about how your eyes are projectors, right? You're not observing the world, you are creating your own world. And I think once I really started understanding that, even in middle school and high school, was when I started realizing like, I can basically make myself have a good day or a bad day, depending on what I choose to focus on. And I just started practicing that even as a younger child, but I really didn't start dealing with my subconscious because consciously I was then aware of that. And I was starting to, you know, when I would get a negative thought, I would try to focus away from it quickly, which is a lot of what therapists and CBT and DBT sort of teach you to do. But then the real secret sauce we tell patients is when you can start to shift your subconscious, which is changing your reactive patterns, like what triggers you, what bothers you. If someone's cutting off the road, if it's a partner ignoring you or your child disobeying you or whatever it is, it's really bothering you. It's like learning to look deeper into the root cause and there's a whole bunch of modalities, um, but you choose a modality or some method of actually figuring out what the subconscious trigger was when that either started in your life that it first bothered you, and then a way to actually clear that so that your subconscious doesn't even get bothered by those things anymore. And that's really when I feel like you start to truly lose that fear reaction. Um, there are ways to consciously do it. You can have people journal and meditate and really like feel the feelings. You have to feel it to heal it. There's research in psychology that shows that if you have someone journal three times a day for 30 minutes for three days, so like three times a day for 30 minutes for three days about the worst experience in their life or the thing that triggers them the most or has bothered them the most or like their biggest trauma, their life gets really bad for like one to two weeks, but then the rest of their life gets dramatically better. So you can consciously just like focus on it and process it yourself, which is a lot of what therapists are trying to do with people. However, um, you can also do it with things like meditation or mindfulness. You can do it with um, a whole bunch of different healing techniques. My favorite of which is called NET or neuro emotional technique, which has a website netmindbody.com. But um, there's a whole bunch of ways to kind of hack the subconscious. That's what a lot of therapists are now moving into. It's like the new trend is all this body-based trauma. The book called Your Body Keeps the Score um, is a great book to get into, but they're experiencing and somatic processing and 
EMDR, which are all SESP and EMDR basically ways that therapists help people get the trauma, get the stress out of their bodies and out of their subconscious. And that's like really when people start owning that and they start meditating or they start doing, you know, like the holistic psychologist, Nicole LaPerera, they start doing her work. They start to own their subconscious is when they really stop coming back for appointments. Like that's when I, when people really get better and they don't have any problems. It, and it just makes sense because if 90% of the reason why people get sick and go to the doctor is because of stress, then if they start owning their stress, um, they're not going to have to go to the doctor anymore which ends up saving people a lot of money and a lot of uh, their life, just their quality of life gets drastically better. Like their anxiety, their depression, their trauma, their stress just kind of starts to melt away and their life becomes more positive, more happy. Um, they start taking ownership of their own self and responsibility for their life. And that's just like living the dream, really. It doesn't matter how much you're making. If you have control of your thoughts and your, your mood, your happiness, doesn't matter where you're living, who you're with, like what your situation is, you can be happy pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Well, that's so powerful. And I appreciate you sharing all those different modalities because I think so many people, I do think it's becoming, like you said, a little bit more trending and a little bit more spoken about now, but I do think for quite some time, it was something that was, you know, quote unquote, you know, hokey or, you know, this, that, or the other thing, or, you know, woo woo or whatever words people want to use. Um, and it's just interesting how now we're starting to really see that this really has been something that's worked all along. It was just something that was written off. And like you said, it's like, feel it to heal it. Like really owning your own trauma is really dealing with all of that and being able to step into that to be able to take your power back and to be able to have those modalities to help you work through and do what you need to do. And I love that you said that, like, then you'll be in a much happier place permanently versus just a temporary happy and actually be content and owning your own life and not having to go to the doctor because of stress. But, you know, that brings me to another good point is like, you know, talking about, you know, big pharma and pharmaceuticals and, you know, everything. It's like, they don't necessarily want you to get there. They want you to stay a part of, you know, their program so that you are still, you know, essentially having to buy from them and you be a lifelong customer to them so they can stay in business. Totally. So, yeah. Um, you know, if you don't take medications, they don't profit off of you. If you don't go to the hospital very much, they don't profit off of you as much. Um, and there's a fine line between, you know, meaning your deductible or not, they probably want you to spend just enough so that they don't give you too much money and you don't give them too much money and <laughs> that kind of thing. Because if you <laughs> go over your deductible and they start paying for all these like massive amounts, they don't want you to be too sick, but they want you to be on enough medications long-term that they can make a bunch of profit off of you. And I think even like the cost of a heart attack over someone's life is cumulatively a million dollars in America, which is absurd for like the surgeries, for what the insurance pays, for what you pay, for everything is a million dollars. So, and those are generally quite preventable with checking your blood pressure, eating a good diet, exercising, doing preventative screenings. Um, you know, there's a lot of ways to manage your stress levels and um, prevent those things, but a lot of people just aren't aware of that. Um, even like there's a, a company called HeartMath that does, has the most researched biofeedback like training in the world. And they have find ways that you can basically like meditate for 10 to 20 minutes a day, I think with their little device called the heart math inner balance. And you can buy one for like hundred, 200 bucks. And they have the most research showing that it lowers anxiety and depression more than pretty much any other 
like meditation tactic that's out there. I mean, it may or may not, a lot of it's like what you put into it, but they have amazing research showing the benefits of it. And a lot of um, conventional medical doctors are super bought in now and doing their trainings. And they have people who do it like online for people. And it's um, basically free once you buy the device, which is great. But um, there's all these ways to help yourself. And when you do start to help yourself, you basically take money away from your doctors, which a lot of doctors don't like, right? <laughs> um, it's, it's like the plumbers who sort of like break something when they come in your house, they fix one thing and break another thing. It's good for business. Kind of like if you get on the pharmaceutical medication that fixes one thing, but then causes a problem down the road, you're going to have to come back. It's a vicious cycle where you're on a medication that depletes nutrients because most medications do deplete nutrients, like statins depleting CoQ10 or like birth controls depleting your B complexes and magnesium or um, antidepressants depleting sodium or melatonin. So then you can't sleep. So it's like this vicious cycle where you get on a medicine, then you need a medicine to fix the medicine and then a third medicine to fix the second medicine and just snowballs into the average American taking seven to nine medications a year. And that's just a huge pharmaceutical um, profit gain for the country. And um, the only way we really start to get yourselves out of both like medical poverty, but also um, taking all these medications is going back to a healthy lifestyle and controlling your stress is a big piece of that. And I think, you know, people go like, well, why are people so anxious or depressed? And I think part of it is we're just going so fast, especially in America. If you think about what our ancient ancestors did, they probably didn't have all this stuff going on. They didn't have cell phones didn't have the TV. They didn't have like a nine to five to go to really. They were either like hunting or gathering, or they just weren't, they were farming and they had more time to just think about, you know, the, what their stress had been the day before. And I think really when you go within, you spend time with yourself, you take time to really like think and process and feel it to heal it. You take time to process your emotions and your stress. A lot of those things do go away, but since we're all so busy, we don't really have time to really think about that major stress in your life. Like if someone passes away and you got to go back to work real fast, or you don't have time to really like process it or take some time off, or even just give yourself an hour a day to really like miss that person, then it might not fully leave your body and it could manifest into something later. Might not, you never know. But um, I feel like that's the big reason people go like, well, why, why are so many people holding on to trauma? And it's because in, in nature and in animals, animals will shake it off. Dogs will like shake their head. They'll shake their leg. They'll like shiver down their spine. They have these reflex mechanisms that are just inherent in their body. And humans have that too. And if we're in nature, if we have time to process, we'll cry, we'll shake, we'll like scream, we'll like pound our fists against something, um, go for a run, burn off some steam, and we process the trauma. But if we don't have that space, like most of us don't, unfortunately, because we're kind of in a education an overly educated, like working super hard in school and then working super hard to make up the debt after the school and then raising a family. Um, and then you don't really slow down. And most people don't really start working on their stress, trauma or health until they're like kids go off to college, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't have that space or time, you don't prioritize it, then it is, you do end up kind of building this cumulative emotional trauma over the years. 
It's so interesting you said that because that was something I realized during, you know, especially the beginning of the pandemic too, was like, I was on such an autopilot and I was doing so much being, I do run several different businesses of my own. I'm an entrepreneur, you know, my mom, I, you know, many things, wife and, you know, many titles, like many of us. And I realized I was on such an autopilot. And then when the pandemic hit and I literally had nothing to do, and I was trying to make myself busy just to do it because I didn't know what to do with myself. And I finally started sitting with myself and, you know, doing all these modalities that you spoke about and, you know, meditation and breath work and all these different things that were really helping me. And now, even with the world starting to pick up a little bit again, I really like remind myself that, you know what, like it's not an emergency and I'm not going to make myself crazy and do all of that right now. And I have to constantly check in with myself and say, you know, that's really not necessary to do in this moment. I can get to it later or I can take time now to myself and then get to this later on. And I do think a lot of people are starting to do that more and more because like I've had several people tell me like they're not going to go back to that same grind. They're going to work remotely and of going to the office. Like, I do think there's been an interesting shift in perspective for many in this time. And I feel like that is going to stick and maybe that will help so many of us work through these traumas and this stress that we've all been holding for so long. I could not agree more. It's, yeah, it's been one of the biggest blessings is the fact that everyone got to take a collective pause, you know, and truly heal quite a bit and realize what's truly important to them. People are changing partnerships, changing jobs, deciding to work from home or not work from home, change careers entirely, move across the country. Um, everything's sort of been a big collective pause, introspection and shift. And I think that is super critical. And I really do believe it will stick. And I hope it won't stick completely, but it'll stick for a large chunk of people who have sort of, sort of woken up to themselves for the first time. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're so right. Like what, when you've woken up to yourself, it's kind of hard to go back to like that old lifestyle. Yeah. Cause you start to like fall in love with <laughs> treating yourself well. Yeah. And spending more time with yourself or like spending more time with your kids or there's tons of people now who are homeschooling because they've realized, wow, I actually do love teaching my kids and being around my kids all day. Go figure. I liked being a parent. No, nope, not everybody <laughs> does, but some really do. Right. Yeah, it's so true. It's I think everyone's kind of had those shifts where they're like, oh, I actually do better. Like I've had so many friends of mine say like, I actually get more work done at home than I did sitting in the office twirling my thumbs for eight hours of the screen. It's like, wow, go figure. I'm more productive now and I'm doing more for my company and I'm actually enjoying it versus where I used to dread going in and just sit there and do nothing. Like it's very interesting to see you know, these, these different shifts. And it's like you said, the blessing of, you know, this uh, time and everything that's, you know, played out. And I'm curious, you know, for you in the holistic space, like, what do you, you know, like, what do you think as far as, you know, what we are seeing with, you know, the vaccines and with, you know, the mask, not the mask, but everything that's going on, like, do you feel like we're going to start to, you know, move forward and be able to be in a place to say, okay, you know, some got it, some didn't, and we're deciding to move the world forward? Or do you feel like it's going to be something that this is going to continue to essentially be a thing of fear for many until we can really, all of us can collectively kind of wake up to everything going on? Yeah, um, it's a great question. I really don't know, to be perfectly honest, um, because well, we don't know if, yeah, of course, but we I, don't know if there's like a new strain, but I think, I'm kind of 50 50 right now. Like, I think it could be we all kind of get over it and move on. 
or there could be, you know, more fear of like a new variant or a new resurgence in the fall and things lock back down. I really hope that doesn't happen. I think we're kind of, I do believe we're moving away from that. I'm pretty optimistic that people are sort of like tired of this. They're done. And even if we do have like a surge that will treat it differently than we did the first time, because people have, I truly believe like majority of people have woken up to the fact that the lockdowns were not as helpful as we hoped they would be. Um, the masks were not as helpful as we hoped they would be. The CDC even came out and said the mandates first, just suggesting masks um, made only a 1.8% difference in the case counts and that the states that locked down actually did worse than the states that didn't lock down. <laughs> so I feel like people are starting to be like, hmm, maybe I should question all these things that we did to help that really didn't help that much. So I'm very hopeful about that. Um, but I also think that, you know, um, the media was losing a lot of viewers before the pandemic and then they, their numbers skyrocketed during the pandemic and the election now it's kind of dropping back down again. So whether it's the pandemic or something else, there's likely gonna be some fear narrative coming in the fall or the late fall that's going to be um, you know, exacerbating an issue or pumping some type of fear, whether it's for a germ or for something else to try to keep the viewership up. Because obviously people like you or like me, um, online viewers like you know, major podcasts, whether it's like Joe Rogan or the other top 10 hundred podcasts are getting millions of viewers. And um, the TV news is only getting like sometimes less than a million views every night. So it's fascinating to see people's attention, their focus and their news coming from social media, coming from podcasts, coming from non-mainstream like newspapers or TV anymore, um, coming more from their phones and from what Facebook or Google decides to tell them is going on. So even like I would have days where sometimes before my profile got deleted the second time, it, we were reaching a million people in like two days, which is crazy to think that we were having that sort of reach just on um, educating about health care. But um, I really do think the landscape is shifting and people's focus is going away from the media and there's going to be kind of a, a battle of who gains control of the public's perception of reality moving forward. Well, I think it's interesting you said that because I do, I agree with you. I think, uh, I think that social media is kind of becoming the news in a sense. Um, I do think that podcasts and other platforms, but I think that goes back to like what we were talking about from the beginning of the show, right? The waking up to, you know, that higher consciousness, being aware of what you actually want to learn and educate yourself on instead of just being fed and listening to what you're being told. And I feel personally that we're breaking out of so much of that being told and being fed. And that's why you are seeing the ratings tank and you are seeing these, you know, programs that have been around for so long that wanted to just tell us what to believe and what to do, whether some be true, some not be true, people are kind of waking up to that and going, oh, I don't know if I want to listen to this anymore. And I don't like how this makes me feel maybe when I listen to it. And so I feel like in that sense, you're seeing people take their power back more and more. And I, you know, I kind of feel like, to be honest, I feel like mainstream media is going to be obsolete at some point. I know so many people are talking about that. And I do think that is a definite possibility. Um, someone will probably come in and fill the gap. I don't know what it's going to be, of but <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see where that shifts in the coming years. Cause we are going into age of Aquarius. There's all kinds of new technology and innovation and virtual reality and all these things coming. And it's going to, I think the battleground will be, how do we balance 
health and nature and our philosophy on how to live in humanity with all of these gains in tech and how media is shifting. Well, like I love big picture I, perspective. For sure. Yeah. Well, and I love that you brought that up about, you know, like being able to kind of balance or live, you know, in kind of the duality of, you know, nature and then, you know, what's going on and everything else, because of course you are very much in the holistic space. I mean, you know, you said you've stayed open this entire time and you've been, you know, with people and treated several COVID patients. I mean, was that something that you also were able to, I guess, I don't want to say teach, but I guess educate um, your patients on or like, you know, hey, you know, you should be in nature safely because this would, you know, help you. Like, I'm just curious, like how you um, navigated that um, kind of what you just said, big picture as we're kind of already were starting to move into that. And now, like you said, are going to continue to further move into that. Yeah. I mean, I was basically trying to push people out of fear as much as possible. So I always try to dance and then change the music. So I try to figure out where their headspace is at, seek first to understand then be understood and really like listen um, until they're done talking and then ask them a couple more questions and sort of like push them a little bit to like, maybe, you know, they're wearing masks outside when they're on the trail. I'm like, does that really make sense? Like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if driving alone in the car wearing a mask makes sense. So you like try to get people to go out in nature, get out of their house a little bit. Cause we had people who were staying in their house for eight to 12 months, even longer sometimes. And they literally hadn't left to get groceries or do anything until they came in because they had to for a health crisis, um, which was kind of unfortunate. But I'm like, you know, you probably could have gone for walks outside because now um, even like the government is saying there hasn't been one proven case of anybody catching um, the germ from someone else outdoors in like a quick passerby moment. So I'm like, you could have gone for walks on the trails. You could have walked around your neighborhood with or without a mask. You could have done all these, all of these options of ways that you could have like enriched your life. So when I had patients in who were still kind of like in that fear mode, it was definitely a like, where are they at? And how can I get them to just like do one more thing or really just tell them like, you know, I think it really is safe to go do this for you. Um, yes, there was like a minuscule risk possibly of putting yourself out there, but compared to all of the other risks in life, it's so, so small. I mean, people are generally 24 times more likely to die in their car than they are from the sea illness, which is why I, I've just gotten so used to calling it sea to avoid censorship. Like, you're so used to being censored. You can say COVID on my show. <laughs> right. I was like the sea illness, the COVID-19 jerk, SARS-CoV-2. Um, but yeah, I'm generally just trying to get people to slowly open themselves back up a little bit and just teach them that like to live is to have some risk. Um, and there are much more risky things than, you know, where, what most people were doing. So it's just trying to get people to do what makes sense for them and not like push them past what they feel comfortable with, but really just educating them on what the, the true risks were. Um, like we now know wearing masks outside didn't really make much of a difference. Um, and just all these other things that were kind of part of the illogical lockdowns and mandates and all the other stuff, which we know now didn't help as much as we would have hoped. Right. Well, I mean, and didn't you kind of feel like the masks were, um, you know, like you said, you didn't even have equipment when you were first treating, you know, your patients and you didn't even know that's what they had. I mean, knowing that, don't you kind of feel like maybe they weren't even really working in the first place? Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think they, 
kind of like people talk about, you know, if you were to like pee with underwear on or no underwear on, or if you were to fart with underwear on or no underwear on, like you could still smell the fart. You could still smell the pee in the room kind of thing, even though it's not going to get all over you. Like it does make a little bit of a difference because if your kid's peeing with a diaper on, like it's not going to splatter all over the room, but it's, <laughs> you're still going to notice it. Um, I think the same thing's true for like indoors. If you're like in a quick passerby moment or someone or someone's going to like cough or sneeze or um, something like right next to you, the water droplets, the mask does prevent might help a little bit, but if you're indoors um, because they're finding that COVID spreads more as like an aerosolized issue, which is like dust. When you see like sun shining in and you see all those dust particles in there, that's basically what COVID does. It spreads like that. It's like trying to avoid it when you're indoors somewhere is nearly impossible. So if you're hanging out for more than 30 or 60 minutes with someone, it doesn't indoors in a closed space doesn't really matter if you're wearing like a cotton mask or an N95 or any of those other things because the virus is small enough that it's going to pass through even in an N95 and you're like dust it's pretty much completely unavoidable so when people were you know having relatives over from out of town and they were wearing masks indoors with each other all the time because they were afraid of spreading the virus I'm like you know that's the science doesn't really like validate or make any sense of why you would wear a mask with someone when you're hanging out with them for more than 30 minutes indoors anyways so it was kind of just starting to educate people to get them to like loosen up a little bit on all these uh, things that didn't really make a lot of sense. And a lot of people would, you know, say like, but don't you trust the science? I'm like, I, I actually do trust the science and I'm not necessarily like anti-mask. I'm just anti wearing a mask when it doesn't make sense to wear a mask. Um, I think MIT even came out with a study that said people who were like speaking up about the illogic behind the masks were generally twice as educated as the people who were just sort of like trusting the general news on what they were recommending. Um, because the people who sort of question things tend to also do more research and understand the data a little bit better. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So true. Well, and so that being said, like, you know, what would you share for those listening who are, of course, most people are on my show that are listening are more open to this, but anybody really that's listening that you know, is maybe wanting to learn a little bit more, like, what would you say are the things that they could be doing to, you've talked a lot about, which I really appreciated the preventative, you know, nature of things, not just COVID, but just with your own body, owning your own, you know, lifestyle, being healthy, like, what would be some things you would share, especially, of course, around this, that they could do to help them and potentially prevent them from maybe having an issue with COVID? Yeah, so, um, Let's see, you can do the search acronym. So it's search, S-E-A-R-C-H. Good sleep, energy like the sunlight, air, rest, calories, and hydration are the big ones. So getting enough rest or sleep, getting good energy, like surrounding yourself with good energy, positive energy, positive news, um, and sunlight or grounding on the earth, um, breathing, breath work, exercise, getting air in um, and out of your lungs, like fresh air outdoors helps quite a bit build your immune system, um, calories and hydration, basically like what you're putting in your mouth every day, staying hydrated, um, not having too much caffeine, too much alcohol, um, too many stimulants or drugs, but putting in healthy food more than three servings of fruits or vegetables a day has shown to really help reduce the severity of COVID-19. And, um, by taking some supplements like vitamin D, if you get your vitamin D levels above 30, especially if they're closer to 60 to 80, really helps lower the severity and the risk of dying from COVID-19. And there's um, now big 
um, studies, what do they call um, like Cochrane reviews, basically like meta-analyses. They're showing over a million people in um, all the research combined has shown that vitamin D is extremely beneficial, extremely cheap way to basically lower your risk of dying from COVID-19. So supplements, sometimes herbs. Um, we have some on our nonprofit website, the health assurance. It's just healthassurancemovement.org. We have some protocols on there, but basically it's just like sleep, exercise, rest, good food, good water, plants. Um, you know, I talk about pets being a great way to build your immune system. And then um, physical touch is actually the quickest way to increase your immune system. So whoever you're willing to include in your little pod or touch group, the more hugs, kisses, massages, rubs, handshakes, kind of things you can get. Obviously you don't want to like spread, intentionally spread germs to someone who could be at risk, but the more you can actually like touch people, that also helps your nervous system relax and helps your immune system build, grow, develop as well. Wow. So, so, so powerful. And so interesting that <laughs> I was like, don't touch anybody. Don't be near anybody. Stay, you know, stay away, stay six feet. You know, it's just, it's so interesting to me because I've talked to so many incredible people, you know, like yourself and Dr. Ben Tapper and so many who have all said, you know, the same thing, like that the physical touch and there's so many different, you know, studies, like you said, that have come out that have shown like that, that helps the nervous system and the immune system. And meanwhile, like we've just been doing the complete opposite for over a year plus now. Um, so it's just, it's so wild. So thank you for sharing all that. And I'll make sure guys, I put all of that in the show notes so you can um, check that out and the website. So you guys can go there. Um, before I let you go, you know, what you spoke about, the, you know, what's coming and the age of Aquarius and, you know, how these new technologies and everything. I'm so curious, you know, for you and because you are in a holistic space and I feel like you do a lot of research in everything that's coming and, you know, what you want to even personally dive into. What are you kind of excited about that you feel like is on the horizon when it comes to uh, the medical community and, 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 you know, more nature um, in holistic um, way like that, that you're seeing that is going to be more mainstream? What in the natural um, realm is coming into the mainstream realm? Soon? Yeah. And yeah. And I mean, and even just, you know, you talked about just being with the age of Aquarius, how you said there's like a lot of new technologies and innovations. Like what are yes. you personally excited about? I'm probably most excited as far as the tech goes about biofeedback, like heart math. And there's tons of other scanners and sensors I've been playing around with. Um, but I think neurofeedback and biofeedback are going to be huge because it's kind of like the new age way of dealing with your emotional stuff or dealing with your brain waves and frequencies and um, different parts of your brain mapping those out. I think that's going to be really big in the next five to 10 years. Um, so I'm super excited to dive more into that. And a lot of those devices that used to cost tens of thousands of dollars are now available for just two, three, $400 that people can get um, for themselves basically to do their own home homework which is great and super empowering. So that's really big. But I think where, unfortunately, I think, and fortunately where medicine is going is that we're generally going to keep getting a little bit sicker, especially if they keep pumping more injections into children. They do get over 60, 70, 100 injections into children before they go to college. I think um, some of the 50% of kids already have a chronic health issue. You know, I think 30% of kids or more are on the mental health medication, like a psych medication at some point growing up. Um, I think that's probably going to worsen. I think autoimmune conditions are likely going to worsen because of the less good quality food we have. So I think more people 
are going to get sicker before it gets better. And I feel like as we move towards more tech and away from nature, potentially at the start of the age of Aquarius, um, we're also going to get less healthy because generally living in accordance with nature helps us be healthier. So I feel like we're going to get a bunch of people who are more chronically ill, more inflammatory, chronic, complex illnesses, more autoimmune conditions, more mental health conditions. And that's However, I do believe that those people will become more aware and more sensitive. So they're going to become all this information will become free, like we're giving it out for free, basically in our nonprofit, but the internet is making all of the cures easily Googleable if they don't censor it or accessible for free. And so people are going to become more aware of what their body's doing and how their lifestyle impacts them. So like everyone's going to be the canary in the coal mine and these kids who are on the spectrum or who have mental health issues can say, wow, when I eat well, I feel this way. Or when I have gluten or dairy or fried food, my mental health gets worse or I break out or I get like, there's a lot of kids who get angry after they have food dyes, that type of thing. So I feel like as people get sicker, they also become more aware. And I feel like that's how we're really going to learn to shift back towards health and towards nature in the future is all of the, unfortunately, more sick, but more aware people will start teaching everyone else what it truly means to be healthy. And I believe the best way we really shift that is through education of the youth and through education of the people who are sick, teach them how their symptoms talk to them um, beyond what they're going to notice for themselves. And um, so I'm hopeful that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, but I still feel like we aren't 50% of the way through yet. However, um, we're basically giving out like free symptom quizzes and self-care guides this year. We've got a new website coming in a couple of weeks. that's going to have a whole bunch of that on it. And um, I think the more people start to learn how their body's talking to them and what their symptoms mean, they'll learn exactly what to do to make themselves better and get themselves feeling better and um, be their own best doctor, which is really my dream for everybody is that they learn enough so that they don't need doctors except for crisis care. And they really start to own their own power, step into their own power and um, be an amazing doctor for their own bodies. Yeah, I love that. I love that you said that, like step in their own power and be mindful of what their body is telling them and be able to manage their own bodies. And like you said, like, you know, medical exists for a reason, but, you know, let it be for a crisis, let it be for something where you really need it, not where it becomes essentially a crutch where you're constantly going and having to maintain yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing all that. And, you know, just, I mean, you gave us so much good info and I love what you spoke on about just preventative care and the mindfulness of your body. And, you know, um, all of that, I think is just so important for so many people, especially now to, you know, really pay attention to and to take their power back and to say, I'm going to empower myself, you know, knowledge is power um, and be able to, you know, handle all this, especially, you know, right now. So before I let you go, um, tell us where we can find you, follow you, of course, you know, share, pimp yourself out. Uh, you won't be censored <laughs> here. So tell us where we can find you, um, you know, and uh, follow you and, um, you know, your, you know, your site that you mentioned. And if there's anything else, you know, you do want to leave us with before I let you go. Yeah. Um, I wrote a book on adrenal fatigue called Do I Have Adrenal Fatigue, which is an ebook on Amazon right now. Um, print book on Amazon's coming in the next couple of months. 
but healthassurancemovement.org has links to all my Instagram and Telegram, which is an uncensored platform um, for the iPhone or other mobile phone apps. Um, so yeah, I think healthassurancemovement.org should have all of my links and contacts up on there. Amazing. So they can just go to healthassurancemovement.org and that'll be in the show notes, guys. And that's where you can find everything about Dr. Campbell and everything he's doing and go follow his social channels, like he said, his telegram and just all the amazing information sharing. And you said, what is the name of the ebook? And I'll put this also in the show notes. It's, uh, it's called Do I Have Adrenal Fatigue? Do I Have Adrenal Fatigue? Very cool. And there's also a, the free quiz from that book is on the Health Assurance Movement website. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of, you know, the, the goodness of what you're trying to do in the, you know, just with humanity and the medical world and wanting others to be able to empower themselves and be mindful of their bodies. I think it's truly amazing. And, you know, keep, uh, keep, keep sharing the good word and, you know, um, you know, sorry, you're getting censored, but at least, you know, you're speaking some truth. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, no, thank you so much. And uh, guys, till next time, guys, you know, stay empowered, be mindful of your bodies and what it's telling you and cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to Everything with Allie Levine. If you loved this episode, please leave a review, screenshot this episode, tell a friend, tag us on social media, subscribe, tune in weekly for new episodes and to continuously be uplifted, empowered and inspired. 